Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Bearded Things. I'm one of your bearded hosts. My name is Chris, and I'm here with my buddy, Tyler. Tyler, how dost thou, good sir? <laughs> thou is sick, uh, running a fever for four days, tested negative for COVID, though, and is slowly witnessing the decline of democracy, I think, right? Is that, is, that, is, that, is that what's happening this week, I think? Uh, yeah, I think that was uh, scheduled. I don't know who had that on their bingo card, but congrats to you. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just the decline of Western civilization, and, uh, you know, that's cool. Well, okay, no. I guess our democracy kept itself intact because we still did our job despite the crazy white people attacking the Capitol because we still voted and did what we were supposed to do. So I guess it's not the full decline. It's the attack. It's the attempt. Hard. It's the attempt yeah. of the decline of Western civilization. And I, I just want to like, you know, we're, we're very honest and open with you guys because we love you guys. You guys are our little uh, bearded family and bearded friends. When we were getting started on this, we were kind of, I wouldn't say like warned in a foreboding sense, but kind of like uh, <laughs> urged to not really get into these kind of things. And while we did re totally respect, you know, uh, the, the wise person who came before us and gave us that information, we are us <laughs> and <laughs> we, we want to do what's right. We want to essentially err on the right side of history and uh, be honest with you guys about our perspectives and point of views. And we'll never do anything completely controversial or anything crazy like that. But when something like this happens, I think it's more important to talk about it than be safe and politically correct um what we saw this week was completely insane yeah and i'm very glad we can all meet here again and do this today uh it was very close to changing our lives forever it was uh mm -hmm. if, if you saw any of it live you witnessed history happening yeah i know you and i were kind of like not live streaming but like, <laughs> we were like texting each other yeah while everything was happening it was like what the fuck <laughs> Uh, so that was interesting. And yeah, to touch on like what you said, growing up, where we grew up, around who we grew up, with who we grew up, like, you know, it's, we're from a very diverse area that's not very affluent. And so I think we've come, we've seen kind of like where some of these people that are so upset in the previous social justice movement, you know, have lived through that and seen that and seen the impact. But yeah, I think this is just kind of, we're not playing a character necessarily. You're just kind of getting us, which is kind of raw and uncut and apologize to the people that are offended by that you know i know we've had some people in the past and who have reached out and still every now and then reach out and send us nasty emails um we're not going to change who we are it's just kind of who we are not be a shitty person like <laughs> yeah we just want to do what's right we want to talk about things that are happening that are affecting all of us because it is affecting all of us in one way or another uh we're either discussing this on social media or we're texting family and friends like just not sure about what to do, what's happening, and we're all going through it in our own way. Exactly. No matter where you lie on the political spectrum, it, this affected everybody, and it's going to change a lot of things for the future of the United States, ergo the world. Exactly. Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone where we were talking about like, this is, you know, how much of this is going to get covered in textbooks in the future. We don't really know whether it's going to just kind of be glossed over as a difficult point in American history, but I think it's something that, you know, this next generation coming up, when they're in high school, they're going to be reading about what happened here. All right. So now we've gotten through our political corner of the day. What are you going to be covering this week? Today, uh, I knew it was, you know, a very emotionally exhausting week for everybody because 2021 hasn't really been any different than 2020. Yeah. It's like 2020's older brother that's really pissed off. 
and it, it's not going well. So <laughs> I wanted to lighten the thing, the whole mood up. So I am doing the Velisca Axe Murders, which is not uplifting in any way. Perfect. What about um, you, man? What are you, you going to be covering this week? I took inspiration on the current events of the happenings, and I'm doing the hauntings and ghost stories of the U.S. Capitol building. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I was like, well, you know what? Let's cover it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, and what's uh, sad, but uh, some of the stuff you mentioned, I'm sure, will be very, uh, well, like, we'll all know what you're talking about because we're like, oh, we saw that hallway or we saw those stairs. Exactly, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so thank you guys. Before we get into everything, I just want to say thank you for sticking with us, for hanging out, for letting us get this off our chest, because like you, we just want to talk it out and get some clarity going. So now that all of that's out of the way, uh, should we get this party started? Yeah, I think I went first last time. So you're up. Yes, you are correct, sir. So uh, I'm going to be covering, like I said, the Valeska axe murders. So let's get to it. 2021 is here, and within its first week, it saw the legacy 2020 left behind, said challenge accepted, and then proceeded to give 2020 an atomic wedgie while shoving him in a locker. It's been a tough start of the year, so like I said, I wanted to take everybody's minds off the turmoil and chaos and cover something to help give you peace of mind. And in all honesty, I was not in the mood for lollipops and kittens, so I'm covering the Valeska Axe Murders. At the end of a quiet street in Valeska, Iowa, there sits an old white frame house. Up the street, there are a group of churches, and a few blocks away is a park that faces a middle school. It's quite literally the epitome of a small, simple Midwestern town. Except for that old white frame house. And sure, at a glance, the old white house looks like many of the other houses that fill the neighborhood. But unlike them, there are no permanent living residents. The doors are found to be tightly boarded up. A small sign out front reads, Valexa Axe Murder House. What happened that would change this small town forever? On Sunday evening, June 9th, 1912, Josiah Joe Moore and his wife Sarah took their four children, Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and five-year-old Paul to the children's day service at the Presbyterian Church. Accompanying them were Lena and Ina Stillinger neighbors who had asked their parents permission to stay overnight with the Moore children. Now, the Moore household was said to have been a lively house, and a quote is, those kids would be out there making noise and playing from sunup to sundown. It kind of became comforting to hear them out playing and doing their chores. And that's probably a slight little ominous warning of what's ahead. <laughs> the Children's Day service was an end-of-the-year Sunday school program. Sarah Moore was a co-director, and her children performed their little speeches and recited scriptures, along with other Sunday school children. The services ended with a town social mingling that lasted until at least 9.30 p.m. When parishioners left on that cloudy, damp, and cool night, no one suspected that neither the Moores nor their overnight guest would be seen alive again. On June 10th, the Moore family was sleeping peacefully in their beds. Joe and Sarah Moore were asleep upstairs while their four children were resting in a room down the hall. In a guest room on the first floor were the two Stillinger girls who had come over for the sleepover. Shortly after midnight, a stranger entered through the unlocked door, not an uncommon thing in what was considered a small, safe, friendly town, and picked up an oil lamp from a nearby table, adjusting the wick so it barely gave enough light to see. In one hand, the stranger held the lamp. In his other, he held Joe's axe, which he found outside. Ignoring the sleeping girls downstairs, the stranger made his way up the stairs, guided by the lamp, and seemingly knowing the home's layout, he crept past the room with the children and into Mr. and Mrs. Moore's bedroom. 
Then he made his way down to the children's room and then finally back down to the bedroom downstairs. Then as quickly as he arrived, the stranger left, taking keys from the home and locking the door behind him. The next morning, the neighbors became suspicious, noticing that the usually rambunctious home was dead quiet. They alerted Joe's brother, who arrived to take a look, and what he saw after letting himself in with his own key was enough to make him sick. Warning. Trigger warning is in full effect. We're about to delve into the gruesome murder scene that was in the home. If needed, please skip ahead about a minute or two. All right, I think they're gone. (laughs) Everyone in the house was dead, all eight of them bludgeoned by the axe beyond recognition. The police determined that the Moore parents had been murdered first and with tremendous force. The axe that had been used to kill them had been swung so high above the murderer's head that it gouged the ceiling above the bed. Joe alone had been hit with the axe at least 30 times. The faces of both parents as well as the children had been reduced, this is a quote from the medical record, reduced to nothing but a bloody pulp. The state of the bodies wasn't the most concerning part, however. After murdering the Moors, the killer had apparently set up some kind of ritual. He had covered the Moors' parents' head with sheets and the Moore children's faces with clothing. The children were all positioned upright facing different walls within the different rooms. He then went through each room in the house covering all the mirrors and windows with cloths and towels. This part is very disturbing, so again, if you need to skip ahead, please do so about 10 to 12 seconds. At the base of 12-year-old Lena's bed, a kerosene lamp was found, possibly used to project light onto her body, which was laying in a sexual pose with her underwear missing, blood smeared across her legs, and defensive wounds across her arms. Investigators believe she was the victim of sexual abuse and also the only member of the house who attempted to fight off her attacker. At some point, he took a two-pound piece of uncooked bacon from the fridge and placed it in the living room along with a keychain. The bacon might not seem like a big deal to us today, but in 1912, with a slight adjustment for inflation, it was about $70 to $100 depending, so it was a slight sign of status. A bloody bowl of water was found in the home. Police believe that the murderer washed his hands in it before leaving. By the time the police, the coroner, a minister, and several doctors had thoroughly investigated the crime scene, word had spread, and the crowd outside had dramatically grown. Officials warned the townspeople against going inside, but as soon as the premises was clear, at least 100 townspeople gave in to the gross fascinations and explored through the blood-spattered home, ruining the crime scene. According to one local paper at the time, one of the townspeople even took a fragment of Joe's skull as a keepsake. A few suspects were named over time, though none of them panned out. The first was Frank Jones, a local businessman who had been in competition with Joe Moore. Moore had worked for Jones for seven years in the farm equipment sales business before leaving and starting his own rival business. There was also a rumor that Joe was having an affair with Jones's daughter, though the reports were unfounded and mostly based on hearsay. The townspeople insist, though, that Moore's and the Joneses harbored a deep hatred for each other, though no one thought it was bad enough to spark a murder, at least to this level. The second suspect seemed far more likely and even confessed to the murders, though he later recanted claiming police brutality. Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly was an English immigrant who had a history of sexual deviancy and mental problems. He even admitted to being in the town the night of the Valeska Axe murders and admitted that he had left early in the morning. Though his small stature and meek personality led some to doubt his involvement, there were certain factors police believed made him a perfect candidate. Kelly was left-handed, 
which police determined from the blood spatters that the killer must be. He also had a history with the Moore family, as many had seen him watching them at church and out about in town. A dry cleaner in a nearby town had received bloody clothing from Kelly a few days before the murders. He reportedly also asked police for access to the home after the crime while posing as a Scotland Yard officer. At one point, after a long interrogation, he eventually signed a confession detailing the crime. However, he almost immediately recanted and a jury refused to indict him. This is just my personal opinion and not at all historically provable, but with the crime this heinous and with the police really wanting a, wanting a suspect, there weren't a lot of rules back then. I'm not sure if this guy actually did it or not, but my guess is the police probably beat the crap out of this guy to get him to mm-hmm. confess and close the case so the town would feel safe again. Soon, reports of similar enough crimes happening throughout the country began to pop up. Though the crimes were not as gruesome, there were two common threads. The use of an axe as a murder weapon and the presence of an oil lamp set to burn extremely low at the scene. Hmm. Despite the commonalities, however, no actual connections could be made. The case eventually ran cold and the house was boarded up. No sale was ever attempted and no changes were made to the original layout. Now the house sits at the end of the quiet street as it always has while life goes on around it undeterred by the horrors that were once committed within. The crime was never solved. The home pretty much sat vacant until it was purchased in 1994. By that time, legends of ghosts and phantom screams began to grow. Martha Lynn, who's uh, 77, would eventually tell Vice, they play with the children, they hear voices, they get pictures of anomalies. She bought the house in 94 and restored it to its 1912 condition stripping the place of all electricity and plumbing and turning it into a tourist attraction. I have notebooks from just the last two years full of what overnight experiences people have had, she would say. Very few of them go away without experiencing something. But in November of 2014, the haunting took a darker turn. This time, it was a man named Robert Stephen Larson Jr. of Rhinelander, Wisconsin. He arrived with a group of friends for, quote, recreational paranormal investigation, according to Montgomery County Sheriff Joe Sampson. From my understanding, he was alone in the northwest bedroom and the rest of the party was outside, and he called for help on their mobile two-way radio, Sampson said. His companions found him stabbed in the chest, apparently from self-inflicted wounds. They called 911, and Larson was brought to a nearby hospital before being helicoptered to Creighton University Medical Center in Omaha. According to a Montgomery County police report, the incident happened around 12.45 a.m., which is said to be the approximate time that the 1912 murders took place. This particular incident has been very upsetting, Lynn says. It's publicity, but it's not exactly the kind of publicity you desire to have. I don't want people thinking that when they come to Valeska Axe Murder House, something's going to happen to them that's (laughs) to this level. I want them to have a good experience from the house, learn about the history, and if something paranormal comes about, then that's one up for them, I guess. Linus said that Larson has recovered from his injuries, but will not comment any further out of respect for the family. And that is the truly heinous unsolved crime of the Valeska Axe murders. I would also like to add one more personal note. A few episodes back, I had mentioned that I had an irrational fear of axe murders. When I was writing this last night at 1.45 a.m., the wind was blowing hard. Where I live, it's really common for the wind to knock out the power for an hour or so. I was not comfortable with any of it. The story is absolutely horrific, and if the power went out, I probably would have shat myself and cried. Like, I think, uh, I think Tyler, you're scared of clowns, right? Yes. Imagine doing a murder clown 
on a windy night when the power goes out. Like, it's not cool, man. Yeah. It's no, not no. freaking cool. <laughs> so, yeah, that is uh, probably one of the most heinous crimes in American history, I think. Yeah, that sounds the whole like posing of the bodies and leaving weird like bacon and oil lamps is just a strange signature or whatever you want to call it. But that's just that's disturbing on a lot of levels. Yeah, I went through uh, while I was writing this and I actually looked at the crime scene photos and mm. uh, seeing the parents, you know, covered up was was, you know, OK. I mean, it's mm. not, it's never great to look at a dead body, but it's a historical crime. So, you know, you're in a mindset for that. Mm. Seeing the children, though, was com- it was very, very troubling. And if uh, you don't want to sleep or you just want to feel really creeped out and gross, <laughs> by all means, uh, you can Google this and see those images. They're very, very troubling. They probably won't be on the Instagram based on um, <laughs> Instagram terms of services. I'm pretty sure that violates it. But I think it would. Yeah. We'll see what we can get away with. And it's like, I don't know, just like the way, the brutality of the murder. It seems like it was like personal, like someone knew the family, whoever it was. Right. It's a very aggressive and like angry yeah. murder. It's a, it's savage. Yeah. Murder. Especially the dead. Yeah. What is it? Like 30 times or something like that. It's 30, like, that's 30 not, strikes to the head. Yeah. That's not like a, a sudden like, Oh, I, you know, I blacked out and there's a dead body in front of me. Like that's a, or, you know, I'm robbing this house kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, and yeah, robbery went wrong or something like that. Like a crime of passion. Like, no, like that was, you did some damage. Like you, you, you need some help. I think now before we get into banter with the Beersleys, it's time for a quick commercial break. And we're back. And it's time for uh, banter with the Beersleys. So, Tyler, what is Banter with the Beardsleys? Banter with the Beardsleys is our fun, unscripted, off-the-cuff, read-a-listener-submitted story and kind of give our take on it. People ask questions, either trying to get to know us more or you guys think we're so amazing that you just really want to know our take on whatever's happening in the world. And today, I believe we have a listener-submitted question from Twitter, I believe, right? We do. It comes from Chris on Twitter, Chris with a K, and uh, he asks... Coffee, tea, or a combination of the two? Ooh, I feel like tea and coffee mixed together would be disgusting. I don't, I'm like, I was like, I, I don't think I've ever tried it, but I'm intrigued. Or I, he probably means like, do you drink both? Maybe, but like, like, uh, remember back like when we were in like junior high, high school and you do the, the, what was it? The suicide at the gas yeah. station. Yeah. And <laughs> you, you mix all the, all the together, sodas. Yeah. That was fun. I was actually just talking about that the other day. <laughs> It's like uh, the the little junior highway at a time travel. Exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> a nice bit of synchronicity there. But I guess it kind of would be the same. Like you just do all. But would you put, are we drinking British tea? Are we drinking American tea? Are we putting milk in it? Are we doing milk, creamer, all this stuff together? We got to know. Um, I, if, I mean, if we're going suicide with it. Well, then you'd have to start. I mean, with you have honey. to put everything. Yeah. Yeah. You do honey and then like uh, some milk or almond milk because... I can't do milk. Lactose. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it just all bad and ain't worth it. Uh, and then I guess you would do like what? A, a good black tea with a, a little bit of lemon and uh, some strong coffee, I guess. Yeah. You'd have to do like the stevia and the sugar in the raw if we're doing everything. We're going to get diabetes just on this one drink. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if we survive the suicides, we can survive this, man. That's true. I'm going to go to Starbucks. But like, I want your tea, your coffee mixed and give me every sweetener you have now. What size do you want? Like, I don't know how to pronounce the sizes in your Starbucks language. I apologize. <laughs> Which segues into my answer, I guess. Uh, I don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee. I've never liked the taste of it. I've 
everyone I've talked to is always like, you just haven't had good coffee, which is probably true, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I have some people that are like, you have to try Nespresso. If you drink Nespresso, you know how it's like the greatest coffee known to man, which I want to try just because of George Clooney. I think he's dreamy and <laughs> anything he's doing, I'm totally about. Oh, I'm not a coffee drinker at all. Uh, I'm kind of a tea snob. I like to mix teas and I like doing like black tea and then like some sort of like a mint tea or like a passion fruit or a ginger or something like that. I like peach. I'm not a fan. There's like the white tea. I'm not a huge fan of that because it kind of just tastes like really watered down tea. But I really like green teas and black teas and stuff like that. Like, I drink a lot of tea. What's funny is like uh, two things. Uh, one, I just picked up an espresso uh, roast. Mm-hmm. So you should try it. It's really good. Super good. It's very chocolatey. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm kind of a coffee snob. So I think we balanced each other out on this one. I just know all the kids say when they're talking shit about each other, when they're like talking their gossip, they're trying to find out the tea. And I still don't know what it means yet. I'm determined. I've never heard that. I feel so much older. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone's like, Oh, I have the tea or like, what's the tea. And when they first start talking about it, I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? So yeah, I'm trying, I'm determined to see what like the, the origin, like the etymology of it is. Yeah. But I don't know. So some of our younger listeners, please email the show and help us out and explain to me what that means. <laughs> yeah. I am a, uh, I'm a coffee drinker. I love coffee. I'm a huge coffee snob. Um, it's not your growth. You know that, right? <laughs> I'm totally going to be screwed. I'm, I'm stuck saying, at six I'm, one forever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm six five. I'm never drinking coffee in my life. <laughs> There's got to be a correlation because no one in my family was ever that tall. My dad was six foot. My grandpa was like six two, like no one is my height. So I just, I blame it. It I, could be coffee. Treated, yeah. I never drink coffee. So that's what it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm good. I think, you know, six one's a good height. Yeah. I'll, I'll stick with it. But uh, yeah, I just picked up um, Groundworks Espresso Blend, which is really good. Super chocolatey, um, full bouquet on the tongue, if you will. And I don't even like really putting stuff in my coffee. I like my coffee mm. black. I, I don't need creamer. Sometimes in the morning, um, I'll add a little bit of uh, oat milk, just to kind of give it like a, a different flavor to it versus like almond or, or soy milk. How and do they milk the oats? So it's pretty much oat water from oatmeal. And then uh, it just adds a good subtle flavor to the coffee, nice. I think. And the only reason I really do it is to cool it down faster so I could drink it quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't do it for flavoring or I like. I just love black coffee, and after a really long night, I want like really crappy diner coffee, like just mm-hmm. the burnt grounds that tastes awful, tastes like death. I love that. That makes me very happy. And uh, what was? Uh, weren't we in Vegas and we're at that that restaurant? And I'm like, I need really strong coffee, and they called it the Red Eye. It was an espresso and a black coffee combined. That sounds familiar. I'm yeah. trying to remember. I don't remember much of our late night Vegas conversations <laughs> uh, for like various early, reasons. Yeah, it was like early morning, which was still part of the late night. But Was this before or after the knife got pulled out in the bar and we had to tackle someone? This was, I think, the <laughs> next <laughs> the, the next morning. And that's a whole story we, we can't get into. But um, Yeah, we can't really share that on air. But um, fun times were had in Las Vegas. Fun times, yeah. Uh. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I'm very much into coffee. I, I love nice. it. Uh, Intelligentsia is one of my favorite uh, brands of coffee, as well as <laughs> thank you. As well as Lavazza, Lavazza is a very good Italian coffee. Um, I, and I think this is why. Um, so growing up, never really had a lot of tea in the house. Mom, I grew up with a single mom. She just wasn't big on tea. Never really had it. I remember my very first cup of coffee. 
and it was, or I'm sorry, my very first uh, cup of tea. It mm. was, uh, I, th- I forget the exact date, but it was the night before the Northridge earthquake that <laughs> shook and rattled all of uh, Southern California, and uh, mm-hmm. it rocked the hell out of my apartment. Um, so I'm like, okay, coincidence, right? I drank tea and then this giant earthquake happened. It's a one-off thing. Mm. So, uh, it, it just, just cause I was, uh, I took the, I think it was like the sleepy time just cause I have a hard mm. time falling asleep. Always have. And uh, a few weeks later it was again, I, I couldn't sleep. And so my mom made me some sleepy time again and I took the tea, woke up, everything's fine. Later that afternoon, it was like a, one of the biggest aftershocks on record in mm. California. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I think I'm done with tea. So <laughs> strange coalition. It tastes great and all, but I think I'm good. Uh, doesn't count towards iced tea. Iced tea's fine. I like honest tea, green tea with lemon and honey. That's my favorite. Um, That's not real tea. It's still, I don't care. It's good. I like it. <laughs> but anyhow, so uh, flash forward a few years. I think I'm in high school or just out somewhere around there. And uh, I'm all hanging out, or a bunch of us are hanging out at a friend's house, and um, his sister was big into tea, so she made tea for everyone, and I had a glass, tell the stories of my green tea, or my, my tea adventures, mm-hmm. and they all kind of make fun of me, and rightly so, it's a weird one. So I'm drinking my tea, like, I'm warning you guys, we're all gonna die. <laughs> and as soon as I finish my glass, I put it down on the counter, like, thank you, that was actually really good. Let's see how tonight shapes out. We all laugh at that. At that exact moment, a friend of mine uh, was taking these like diet pills and uh-huh. started having a severe, your brother was there for this. Mm. Uh, our, our friend started having a severe allergic reaction to something in it. I think it was back when ephedrine was like killing everybody. I was like, was it the methamphetamine? That <laughs> yeah, were it was, absolutely. It was. They had a negative reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, Lauren, myself, and another friend threw her in a car. We had to take her to the emergency room. Because uh, she almost died. And, uh, yeah. And then the last time I tried tea was, like, now I drink tea. I don't care. Like, I'm just bitter and jaded. Like, come, like mm. I feel like Lieutenant Dan when he's on top of the <laughs> ship in the storm in Forrest Gump. Mm. And he's, like, screaming. Like, that's kind of how I get <laughs> Yeah. That's how I feel now with stuff like this. But the last time before now, uh, I had tea. Same friend's house. And I'm like, I'll do, I just really wanted a cup of tea. It just sounded really good and refreshing. I think I had like a little sore throat thing. And so I'm drinking the tea and, uh, so we're all sitting there. And then all of a sudden, uh, this weird paranormal thing just happened. So we're all watching a movie and all of a sudden the door handle to the living room door starts violently shaking. Like somebody's trying to open the door like fast. Mm -hmm. So we're all sitting there like, what the hell? So, uh, but our friend, uh, we'll just call him Chris. <laughs> he, uh, him and I, he's about my size. He's a big guy. So we go running over to the door and like, okay, count it through. We'll open it up. Cause the door we're watching, we're in front of the door now and the handle's still jiggling. So mm-hmm. we're like, okay, three, two, one, we'll just rush it. So three, two, one, we open the door. Nothing. There's absolutely nobody there. Um, there were knocks on the, I think ceiling or something like that. Just weird little things like that happened for about an hour or so. And then I just swore off tea. And uh, as I got older and got more jaded and bitter, yeah, now I'm just like, is that all you got? And uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy tea now. Nice. I do have to, um, not preface because it's post-fist. Post 
I don't know what you call it. Addendum to my story. There uh-huh. we go. Smart words. Uh, I'm not a big hot tea drinker. I drink a lot of iced tea. So when I make all my tea, I brew it and then I put it in a giant like two gallon jug and I fill it with water and then I brew the tea. And so I do it that way. So I make iced tea um, that I drink a lot of. But I do have hot tea every now and then. But usually when I'm cold and I need something warm to drink me to like warm me up, I just make hot cocoa because I'm still a child at heart. <laughs> it's got the mellows. Yeah. Oh, I can have marshmallows. But oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. But I also want to thank you for saying espresso and not espresso because that's something that drives me nuts. Anyway, that's my two cents. <laughs> so thank I you think. For, thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you as a coffee snob, but it just it drives me nuts. And also, just, Starbucks yeah. isn't real coffee. Don't get me wrong. Starbucks serves a purpose. They got the best frappuccinos you're gonna find. They're the fast food of coffee joints. They're the McDonald's of coffee. Like yeah, specifically, it's the McDonald's. It's the low quality. Super expensive, but really conveniently located. Mm-hmm. And it, it's great. It serves its purpose as one around the corner from my house, and I go there often. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. I hope that answered Chris's question and then some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Morning, learning more about us every bender of the beers. These yeah. And if you have a question, we'll let you know where you can send that in. And you can, like you, as you can see, <laughs> you can ask us literally anything, and we will answer it honestly and yeah. at length. Yes, at Nazem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now that uh, banter with the Beardleys is wrapped up, uh, I believe you are up, sir. Are you ready? No, but let's do this. Yeah. That's the <laughs> spirit. <laughs> All right. So for today's episode, I was inspired by what's happening in the country this week. And it's been in the news. So I want to touch on the U.S. Capitol. So a little factoid, quick information on the U.S. Capitol in case you don't know. It's seated in Washington, D.C., which when you think about it, it's kind of funny because it's the capital of the United States of America, and it's not even a state. Um, one of the legends, the reasons behind this is the Founding Fathers. They didn't want, uh, they wanted D.C., it, it houses the nation's government. It's the seat of power for the nation's government, and they don't. it shouldn't have been a state representative, but rather the voice of the people and speak on behalf of the entire nation. And also kind of interesting the first part of the name Washington, D.C. comes from, obviously, the first president of the United States, which was George Washington. But do you know why it's called Washington, D.C., with the D.C. standing for the District of Columbia? Because it's a District of Columbia. Yes. <laughs> it's not because this small section of the country is secretly run by the country of Colombia in South America, which I read today on the Internet. Uh, <laughs> the spelling of Colombia is actually with a U instead of a second O, so it's C-O-L-U-M-B-I-A. And it's Colombia is the female personification of the nation and as a whole, the landmass that is the Americas. So therefore it's Washington city in the district of the female personification of Colombia. I thought that was America. What's America? The female representation. I I thought like it was a, a, an entity, like it's named after a a map maker. I know that, but I thought it was, it was so like the, when Europeans were first colonizing the like unknown world, they broke basically the world into like Europe, the Far East, the South, and the Americas, which they called Colombia. So it's North America, South America is Colombia, and they were represented by these like women, where like the South was like um, like Africa and you know parts of South America where it was like a, you know native woman with lots of feathers and bright colors, oh. and the America which was Colombia which was just kind of like a plain, like a, a Anglo-Saxon woman with some, you know, like 
kind of dry clothing and like a weird like cap um but yeah so it's like columbia is like the the woman personification got it cool. of the americas yeah did not know that which i also thought was kind of ironic considering it took a really long time for women to be treated anywhere <laughs> close to being equal in the u.s but that's another story yes so another long tangent on the name is over the U.S. Capitol, as it stands now, was erected in 1800, but was partially burned in 1814 during the War of 1812, when the British burned most of Washington, D.C. They burned down the White House, um, and it was repaired and slowly fixed up by 1819, and has been expanded many times over the years to make it look like it does now. And with anything that has such a long and violent history, there's bound to be many ghost stories, and I'm going to do my best to cover some of the better ones. Firstly, I want to talk about some murder that took place in the U.S. Capitol building. There was a man who was named Charles Kincaid, who was a reporter for the Louisville Times. And in 1887, he wrote an article regarding Congressman Preston Tolby and his alleged affairs with a female assistant in the patent office. This obviously tarnished the reputation of Mr. Tolby and ended up costing him his reelection in 1888. In 1890, the former congressman saw the reporter walking from the Capitol chambers to the dining room and attacked him by jumping on top of him. Talby pulled at the nose of Kincaid and also pulled his ears in an attempt to embarrass the reporter. Kincaid, however, was aware that the co former congressman was upset, so he was prepared for an attack and he pulled out a gun and he shot Talby in the face. The, the former congressman ended up dying two weeks later, but, but Kincaid was acquitted of all charges because he claimed he defended himself from being attacked. Allegedly, to this day, you can see the bloodstains etched into the marble stairs where the fight took place, and staffers and security alike are said to have seen visions of Talby hunting for revenge, sneaking up and down the steps. It's also a running joke that if someone slips or trips on the stairs, they said that it is Talby trying to make people fall, which I feel like if, if I was murdered on the steps of a, like a capital stairwell, I would totally do that. I would just walk around like, sweep the leg! <laughs> Uh, another death that took place in the Capitol building was that of former President John Quincy Adams. During a heated debate on whether or not to honor soldiers who had fought in the Mexican-American War, many congressmen were voting in favor and supporting the manner. But, but the now congressman, Adams, rose and vehemently yelled, no, and then collapsed. It was later revealed that he suffered a massive cerebral hemorrhage. And because of his condition, he was not able to be moved far and was kind of dragged into the Speaker of the House's chambers where he died two days later. Today, many people claim to hear a loud disembodied voice yelling no late at night when it's quiet. It's also said that if you sit near where Adam's old death stood in the chamber, you can hear someone whispering distinctly. Some non-death related tales of paranormal can be heard and seen as well. In the old Senate chamber, which is now kind of down in the basement area, there were many famous speeches and addresses given during the almost 50 years it served as the main Senate House. Some of these events came from great speakers, such as Senator Daniel Webster and former Speaker of the House Henry Clay, who gave many impassioned spe speeches speaking out against slavery in the future of the, the Union. While neither man died in the Senate chambers, visitors and staffers alike are said to hear the speeches these men gave. There have also been reports of people seeing two men standing in front of the empty chairs, walking back and forth and gesturing as if giving speeches. I mentioned a lot of construction in the beginning of this and changing of things in the Capitol buildings and new things moving back and forth. Along with the Senate chambers moving, the Library of Congress was also moved away from the Capitol, but it used to be housed inside the Capitol building itself. The library occupied what is now the Speaker's Hall, and many staffers and visitors report hearing footsteps pacing back and forth in a single file line. 
They also report hearing the sounds of books being slammed down on tables, as well as carts used by aides moving around on their own and wheeling up and down the hall. I mentioned construction, and the original Capitol building was infamously built using slave labor, and many people feel the spirit of one of the unfortunate souls is still trapped in the Capitol building. It's rumored that sometime during the pouring of the foundation and pillars, a young man fell asleep during a hot summer day. While he was sleeping, a foundation was laid and pillars were erected around him before being filled in and trapping him inside a tomb of concrete. Today, many visitors and aides have reported the sounds of scratching and pounding coming from inside certain sections of the wall before being stopped abruptly. Another story related to construction comes from the tale of John Linthal. Linthal was assistant to the capital foreman, Henry Latrobe. During construction, Latrobe left on, biz on other business to Philadelphia. Well, Mr. Linthal thought it would be a good and fun thing to surprise his boss by getting more work done than was expected, and Linthal worked tirelessly to get the vaulted ceiling completed. On Friday, September 16, 1808, Linthal thought he had done just that and began to remove supports that were holding the ceiling in place. However, something went tragically wrong and the ceiling began to collapse. Workers ran and ducked away in cover to avoid being hit by falling debris, some even jumping out of windows. Linthal fell and was buried in debris. He was dug out, but there was nothing to be done to help him. Allegedly, with his dying words, he placed a curse on the building. And finally, I will tell you the story of something that I believe Chris has already mentioned on a previous episode, but I dug a little bit deeper, and that's the story of the ghost cat or the demon cat that haunts the U.S. Capitol building. The story begins in 1794 when the original Capitol building was being erected. Allegedly, there was a den of black cats near where construction was to begin, so workers had to destroy the den and they scattered the animals. They then built the building, but the location where the den was is now the basement of the Capitol, where the crypt of the Capitol and old Senate chambers are held. In 1862, a Capitol security guard saw a cat that was wandering the halls and appeared to get bigger, so he shot the cat, but he hit nothing. When he went to investigate where the cat was, there was nothing and no way for an animal to escape. There have been numerous other sightings of a black cat darting around the halls and staff and visitors alike can hear meowing of a cat when it's quiet. As mentioned in a previous episode, the cat has been somewhat of a harbinger of doom said to appear before tragedy. And <laughs> Classic to, cat move. Right, yeah, <laughs> fucking cats. It was said to have been seen prior to the assassination of Abraham, or President Abraham Lincoln, as well as President John F. Kennedy. And it's not just assassinations either. Allegedly, a night watchman saw the cat in 1918, the day before a terrible train accident in New York that killed 90 people. The cat is also supposedly seen the night before the 1929 stock market crash that essentially triggered the Great Depression in the United States. The cat has also been sighted in Washington's tomb, which is empty, but it used to house Lincoln's catafalque. The catafalque is a large box-like structure used to raise the coffins of people who lay in state in the Capitol Rotunda. It's kind of like that thing you see that's like draped down, it's got curtains on it, and they place the, co the coffin on top of it. Then like flowers around it on the bottom. Exactly, exactly, yeah, that's the cat effect. So they use, the one that they use to this day was the original one they made for Lincoln, and they used to keep it down in the basement, um, in the crypts, because that's not creepy at all. So the cat has been seen walking around the cat effect prior to it being moved. There are also images of what people claim to be paw prints of the demon cat left in marble and on statues which is a trait that is said to be something a demon cat can do. And the only way you can tell if one is near uh, demon cat, it's actually a pretty common thing. It's something I'm sure one of us will cover in a future episode, but essentially the only way to tell if there's a demon cat nearby is to stand on stone because when the cats walk by you, you can't see them, but the paw prints etch into the stone. Anyway, 
While many skeptics claim that almost every story being told regarding the paranormal and ghosts of the U.S. Capitol are just the results of how sound travels very strangely in the building, there are tours that you can take where the guides will stand in different areas of the Capitol and whisper it can be heard clear across the room of crowded people and not be disrupted by visitors. The skeptics claim that what is actually being heard is most likely echoes of people nearby and playing off of the stone, but because everyone's so far away, it seems like there's no one nearby. And as for the demon or ghost cats, well, many skeptics and capital historians agree that this is most likely the stories being told by drunken security guards. <laughs> Prior to Capitol Police taking over security, the job of securing the Capitol was done by poor and down-on-their-luck family members of congressmen and U.S. senators. And many claim that these less experienced men got bored and wanted to tell stories. Regardless of what you want to believe, I think that any place that has this much history and violence is bound to attract spirits of those who worked and strived so hard to help build our country and just didn't want to leave. I say... Let's set up a Patreon or an OnlyFans, get a goal of subscribers, and then you and I can travel to the Capitol building ourselves and check it out. I'm down. Assuming the Capitol building survives, more angry Trumpers trying to tear it down. And that, my bearded friends, is the story of the ghost and haunts of the U.S. Capitol building. Awesome. Yeah, I actually, I learned stuff today. That was really Yay. cool. That was fun. <laughs> and if we, if our patron... OnlyFans, GoFundMe, get started and we actually <laughs> get that going. I, I promise you all now, I will bring in a catnip. Because I want that demon cat. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm so down. Not even kidding. And I was also thinking, as, like, as you were telling the story of it, like, you know, if I was a senator or congressman and I had an office there, I'd get mm -hmm. one of those little cat beds and some cat toys and just set it up in the corner. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be cool with it. I like cats. I'm a cat guy. Just sit there, just grab on the floor. I'm like, yeah. Even though it's probably still going to ignore you because it's a cat. That's what they do. But that's true. If it's a demon cat, you have to be like, rah, 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 rah. And, you know, it makes sense that something like this would be haunted. Like you said, so many, so many deaths and the violent acts have happened there. On top of that, people that make it there, regardless of what you think of them, they're passionate about what they're doing. Oh yeah. Right. So there's so much energy they put into the, to mm -hmm. their day-to-day -day lives there that it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And you think about the Capitol building in it's where it's at, you know, cause the U S Capitol used to be in New York and it was in Philadelphia and then finally settled in Washington, you know, after Washington's presidency was in, you know, John Adams administration, all this stuff. Like it's been there since, you know, the late 1700s, early 1800s. Like there's so much stuff that's gone through that building and so many arguments. And, you know, you talk about the, the issues on like, slavery and women's rights and you know like just general civil rights like all these things that you're saying like the passion the energy like that's just bound to manifest and stay there yeah i mean like you're saying was it john quincy adams who had the uh, the hemorrhage and died yeah mm -hmm. yeah like mm -hmm. he literally was so passionate about what he was debating and disagreeing with that it, he died there like that's that's cool. That's American, man. That was an uh, awesome job. Very apt timing for it. And uh, yeah. although what happened this last week was insane, I do think it just adds to the lore and the, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> uh, but The mystique? Yeah. And, and the everything that the capital should symbolize, I think, came into full embodiment this last week. It's the cornucopia of democracy and where our country is it's like the where we started where we're now like yeah like that's kind of a good embodiment like okay yeah exactly so yeah. uh yeah great job this week i think thank you that just the, about does it but before we go if somebody wanted to ask us something for banter with the beardsleys submit a story or what have you <laughs> where and how can they reach out to us 
They can reach us through any of our social medias. Our Instagram is at Bearded Things Pod. Facebook is facebook.com slash bearded things. We also have that Facebook group that we keep plugging every week. It's really cool. You should come check it out. It's called the Bearded Things, Bearded Friends group. We also have a YouTube, which is at Bearded Things Pod, and a Twitter, which is at Bearded Things. You can also email us at contact us at beardedthings.com or go to our website www.beardedthings.com there's a contact us form there you can click that it sends an email directly to us so please 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 reach out like we say every week if you're listening to this and you're like i have a story i want to reach out about i want to hear my story read on the campfire tales or this is a really cool topic let me send it out but it's probably kind of stupid they may not like it trust me we will like it so tell a friend give us five stars like subscribe do all that good stuff i think that's all the pitches i'm out of breath (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that pretty much did it all for us. (laughs) So uh, that'll do it for this week. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye.